all right, this morning um, uh, I would like to speak to you about uh, the, the, the theme that we had at the uh, National Convention, and I sort of had other thoughts in mind, and uh, interestingly, on Monday night when we got together with the trustees and the international speaker, traditionally we have a dinner together just to reconnect, because everybody comes from diff different part of the country and we don't see each other from week to week and of course the international people uh, we've met the Pearsons before in fact we've had them here in New Zealand and Vanessa and I have visited their church there in uh, in Fort Worth and everything so we got together there and <laughs> brought me down on the last night I I found out that I was to be the convention director for the whole week which I just uh, I just didn't <laughs> didn't know or I should have known I guess and so that meant just a little bit of extra work for me and convention director of course is responsible to make sure everything starts on time finishes on time, everybody's organized, everybody knows when to get up and provide some cohesion and everything. So I was thinking I'll have, have a bit of time this is just to prepare something else for this Sunday, but it turned out that uh, there wasn't any of that time. And then by popular request, uh, it was requested then that I bring the message that I ministered at the convention to bring that into this house here this morning. And that's probably a good thing. So for some of you guys, it'll be like deja vu. All right. But I assure you, this is the 12th of, uh, of June. It is Sunday. It's not Friday. And, and uh, it is a good thing for us to hear things again and again. So the theme was the awakening. That was the theme for the whole convention. And my, we had some wonderful ministry and different speakers just dovetailing in. In fact, uh, uh, we're actually looking at inviting Pastor Nigel Woodley to this house during, for the time that I'm away. And we want him to bring that same message that he ministered at the convention here. I mean, a, a lot of it was just so outstanding. And, uh, you know, we can't get the Pearsons here. They've gone back to America. But we can get Pastor Nigel down, I'm, I'm sure. And we're looking forward to that. Just a great word. Um, I would again uh, uh, just like to state the vision of ICFM. Uh, Vanessa and myself, we are members of ICFM. ICFM is a minister's association. It's not a denomination. Uh, now, as a church, we do not have church membership in a technical sense, but uh, in, in a practical sense, we are part of ICFM as a house. And so that's why I want to bring some of these understandings into the house so that you know what this is all about. Sometimes people say, well, you guys are out and about by yourself and alone. We are not. We are connected together with other ministers, ministries, and churches up and down the country and internationally. Um, and ICFM's vision is to hold forth, to contend for, and to propagate the word of faith worldwide. That's what the vision of ICFM is. ICFM was formed in 1979 when ministers got together uh, in, in the States and there were people like Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, Fred Price, uh, Terry Mice and, and, uh, and others that joined together and these were like, these are people that God had given a, a revelation to in regards to the integrity of God's word and I'll be speaking about some of that in just a moment and uh, these guys used to go to other conventions and everything and uh, they were made fun of, they were ridiculed for what they were preaching and so forth. Back then, you know, healing wasn't a, an, a thoroughly established doctrine in the body of Christ, and they had to contend for that and everything else. So one of them uh, said, look, why don't we join together as a, as a group of ministers? Why don't we have our own conventions? So we don't need to uh, excuse ourselves. We can preach what God's given us. Uh, we don't have to dodge a whole lot of doubt and unbelief, which was floating around uh, loads back then. And out of that, ICFM was formed. ICFM is, is an association of ministers and ministries connected into it and churches, if you like. 
And our fellowship, of course, is unto Jesus Christ because this is not separate from the body of Christ in any way. It's, it's, it's obviously part of the church. But our fellowship is around the word of faith in the sense that uh, we believe in, a, in, a, in specific things. And I want to talk to you about what we believe uh, as a people and who we are as a people. Uh, the de definition of the word of faith uh, is that the word of faith is a revelation of the integrity of God's word. That's what the word of faith is. And it's bothered me that for years, uh, if somebody really sort of drilled down and said, look, who are you and what are you all about? And I said, well, we're word of faith people. And, say, and somebody will say, well, what does that mean? And then I'll sort of... Uh, you know, not be quite sure and ask, ask some of my friends, and say, oh, it means this, it means that, but a lot of it just didn't really clinch it for me. I like definitions. I know what I'm, I want to know what I'm on about and what we are believing and what we are preaching. And uh, it's not a different doctrine in any way than what anybody else in the body of Christ is preaching, but it is a special emphasis. All right, so I want to talk to you about that special emphasis this morning. And one of the main ones is this, that we believe in the integrity of God's Word. Not only do we trust in and rely on God Almighty Himself, but we trust in and we rely on the written Word of God. All right, these are not a collection of fables and uh, history books. This is the Word of God. It is the written Word of God, living, powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword and all of these other things that the Word speaks about. All right, so in other words, it means that we can build our lives on the Word. Everybody builds their life on some philosophy, a culture. Uh, everybody builds their life around a certain culture. God wants us to build our lives as believers around the culture of the kingdom of God, which is written about in God's Word. All right, so it means that we've got to make some adjustments. We've got to disconnect from some things that we've previously been connected to. We've just heard on this promo video that uh, cultures are filled with lies. Let me say it again. Certain cultures, many cultures, most cultures are filled with lies. They're paradigms that people have believed and, and, and adhered to. But if you dig right down and analyze and say, actually, this is not the truth. This is actually a lie. And so we build our lives on the word of God. Secondly, the word of faith is declaring and practicing the uncompromised word of God. We can't take a collection of the word of God and tradition and what we think and what others have thought and what others have said. But no, we absolutely return to the pure, unadulterated word of God. We declare it and we practice it. And God promised us that if we build our lives on his word, there will be success. There will be a good outcome. There will be, there will be, uh, you know, there will be victory. There will be all of these good things that everybody wants. Um, and, and so we go back to the uncompromised word of God. Thirdly, the word of faith is a special emphasis on positional truth is taught in the New Testament. Now, positional truth, if you like, is a, is a theological term. And uh, if you like, we've got on the one hand positional truth. On the other hand, we've got uh, experiential truth. Experiential truth is what happens on the ground, what we're dealing with on a day-by-day -day basis. Fergus used to call it the two realities. We've got the reality of God, of what God says, of who he is and who he says we is. And on the other hand, we have got the, the rea reality on the ground, what we're experiencing presently. And people sometimes have got difficulties in reconciling the two. You can't reconcile the two. You can only understand the both and you can swing in the one direction or in the other. Now, what it means is if we are beginning to declare and we begin to, to, to practice uh, positional truth, it means that our experiential, our reality, will lift itself up to the level of where God says we should be. And uh, we know that uh, between 
between positional truth and what we're experiencing, there's typically a gap. And uh, in fact, when I first got saved, the gap was so huge that it's like huge. Like, uh, uh, you know, God's up here and God says, this is who I am, but this is how I felt. This is how I was walking. And through the renewing of the mind, uh, my experience was lifted up to a higher level. I haven't by any means arrived, but I'm telling you now that my life today is a whole lot better and a whole lot closer to God in terms of what God says in his word than what it was when I first got saved. You see, before I got saved, I was hooked into the wrong culture. I was hooked into wrong paradigm uh, uh, mindsets and, 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 and so forth. And so I had to move. And as I've said, uh, sometimes people trying to get God down on their level and they're talking to God, say, God, I've got all of these problems. This is what I'm experiencing. There's trouble. There's difficult. And God says, I know. But as we begin to swing around and rather than focusing on our experiential aspect we begin to swing around we begin to read and meditate and declare positional truth things will begin to change because suddenly faith is released in our lives and faith is what changes things and that's what we are about as a people we are faith people all right and, uh, and as they say, we've got all this stuff come against us. And I mean, what's happened to, to the white family? How do you deal with that in the natural? It just blow you down and blow you away. But as faith people, people will say, well, hello, we can overcome by God's strength. Now, we might be struggling right now, and this is what's happening on the ground, but we can overcome. But there can be victory in that situation. And that's just one example. Uh, as I say, as believers, we're not in any way exempt from difficulties, but we know how to overcome difficulty. And uh, and so that's the deal. So positional truth means that I am who God says I am. All right? And you are who God says you are. All right? It's not just about me. It's about, about us as the people of God. We are who God says we are. Now, uh, it doesn't matter what I feel I am. It doesn't matter what somebody else has said I am. I am who God says I am. And I need to remind myself of that. Who am I? Who am I? Well, the Bible says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I might be feeling like the biggest rat bag on the face of the earth, but that does not matter. That's, that's not what I proclaim. I'm proclaiming what God says I am. I'm beginning to agree with God. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, and it's not in your outline, but you can write it down if you want to. It says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? And the answer is, no, they cannot. Why do we get divorce and stuff happening? Because people stopped agreeing with one another and they disagreed and then the disagreement came so big they could no longer work it out and so they parted company. And we want to walk with God. We've got to learn to agree with God. Though it does not make sense to the unrenewed mind and the flesh screams and everything goes on, but we say, no, we know that God says that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. God says that I've been uh, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. I'm not be feeling redeemed today I might, I might again tomorrow but I might not the following day feelings can be up and down but the word of God is always steady and always true and it does not falter it does not waver I am who God says I am I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus and so are you if you're born again so that's what we mean by positional truth then uh, and we've summarized them into three headings I have what God says I have uh, sometimes people say oh man I've just got such a mess I'm so poor compared 
paying my bills, got all this stuff, all this problem going on. And, you know, we have to deal with things on the ground. Don't get me wrong. And it's not like sticking our head in the same, but we begin to minor on that. We begin to major on what God says about us. What does God say about us in regards to what we have? Well, he says that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what we say. Because what we say is what we're going to get. If we always talk about our problems, about our issues and um, a strife and stuff that goes on, that's what we're going to get. And it's like, uh, you know, if you take a highlighter and read a page and begin to highlight some things or, or take a pen and underscore it and everything else, then if people are always highlighting their problems, always highlighting their issues their, and so forth, so they look at their page and what stands out is, uh, is all the problems, all the issues. But God says, no, no, begin to minor on that, begin to major on what I say about you. And look at the other page and begin to highlight where it says that you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what it tells us in in uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 which says my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus that's what we say it might look like it right now but we don't believe what it looks like we believe what God says about us and that's what makes us faith people because faith uh, with the eye of faith we can see things that have not yet manifested in the natural realm but as we begin to clear it and begin to agree with God and begin to meditate on that and begin to renew our minds suddenly be, it, it's coming into the natural realm we are pulling things out of the realm of the unseen that's what we do and then the next the last heading there is I can, I can do what God says I can do Alright, so sometimes people say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't lead a connector. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Oh, I couldn't get up and give a testimony. I'm scared. Uh, uh, you know, I couldn't do that. Uh, well, the Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So it just depends on what we believe. We've got those two realities. What we feel like and what others have said. You know, others say, oh, you will never amount to anything. Oh, no, you'll be no good. You'll just be no good. You'll just always be no good. But God says, I'm good. God says, I can make it. God says, I can have good success. Uh, and the scriptures galore uh, that tells us that we can have good success. We can pull up tithing scriptures. We can pull up meditation scriptures. We get all of these wonderful things. Uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, as we meditate in the book of the law day and night uh, and observe to do according to all that is written therein, then we shall have good success and then we will prosper. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word. His delight is in the law of the, of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, it tells us. And he will make his way prosperous, and he will have good success. Psalm 1, verse 1, Psalm 1, is it right? Okay, I'm just wanting to make sure that was sort of not, it's not in the outline, it's unplanned, but sometimes, uh, you know, we try to be as caring in every word as what we can, but sometimes we just need a little bit of help from the front row there, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> the word of faith, as the term implies, places special emphasis on faith, not just as a concept or as a word in the dictionary, if you like, but as a force that can change things. It can change things, but it only will change things if I choose to walk by faith. If I begin to choose to walk by what God says about me rather than what stares me in the face in a natural realm. All right. Uh, also, the word of faith is a revelation on the word of God and its miraculous power released when spoken. 
So what that means is that the word of faith, the word of God has to be spoken. It can't just be thought about. Though thinking about it, meditating is absolutely vital. It's only part of the process. It has to come out of my mouth. God's already spoken it. But it will not come to pass in my life until I begin to speak it. There is something where God God has created the whole wide universe by speaking words. Uh, and I'm creating my own world, if you like, by speaking words. And the Bible tells us that death and life is in the power of the tongue. And many people don't understand it. And they're speaking death all day long. They're speaking sickness. They're speaking poverty. They're speaking disaster. They're cursing their their own kids, their own environment and everything. I never have any money. Uh, Cursing their own bank account. Cursing their own situation. We need to begin to say what God says. And faith is released. The power of God's word is released when we speak the word. Then finally, or the second to last one, the word of faith is an understanding of receiving what God has already supplied. What that means is that if I require healing, I don't have to twist God's arm in order for him to bring healing into my body because God's already made healing available 2,000 years ago. So it's my job to go to the book and find out what God has already said, to find out what belongs to me in Christ, to find out what God has made available for me and to me through this covenant that I have with God uh, and then to begin by faith to receive that. Uh, And the last one there is that the word of faith is believing the word of God over and above the circumstances and situations. All right, so as I say, this is not about mind over matter. This is not about the, uh, the metaphysical where, where some you know, cults will teach that what we're actually seeing is actually not, not, not so. This is just an illusion. No, 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 my friend. The troubles that we're having in our lives, they're not illusions. They're real, but they're a lower reality. That's uh, experiential truth, if you like, that it may be true that uh, you know, you're struggling financially. It may be true that you're struggling with, with illness, uh, trying to attack your body, but the truth is that we healed by the stripes of Jesus. The truth is that God calls us the prosperous ones, the ones who, who, who especially, you know, we're talking about tithing scriptures and everything. That is, we tithe, God says, the windows of heaven are opened, and a blessing is poured out that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And that's what we mean when we talk about word of faith. And that leads me to the next point, if you like, a, a statement that I want to make is that what it is right now is not what it's always going to be. All right, What you're experiencing right now in your own life is not what it's always going to be. What we're experiencing in, in our region right now, in our cities, in, in the Wellington City, uh, Hutt City, Upper Hutt, Poiru, in our region, in, in, in that metropolitan area there, and what we're experiencing beyond is not what it's always going to be. Remember that, all right? Uh, not in our own lives and not right across the board. Because, uh, you see, sometimes things can be hard and we think this is it. Uh, like, this is it. I'm just in a, in a hard place. I'm between a rock and a hard place. And, and uh, will it ever change? Well, yes, it will. <laughs> yes, it will. Sometimes people say, oh, man, I've sown, I've given, I've served. And somehow not seeing the, re- the results. I'm not seeing the fruit uh, that I would like to see. And, I, well, just remember what it is right now is not what it's always going to be. You might even be frustrated. You've prayed for loved ones. Uh, you've written people's names on your prayer, share, and care card and prayed for them, and they're still not safe. But I'm telling you, what it is right now is not what it's always going to be. We've got to take a faith approach to, to things and, and got to trust God that our faith doesn't falter or waver after a day. Oh, no, I prayed yesterday. It still hasn't happened. And then, poof, flat. No, 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 we just keep going. We will absolutely, we will absolutely 
disallow the reality that we experience on the ground to impress itself over the reality of the Word of God and push that one down and do it away. We will absolutely refuse that. All right, God's Word will stand, absolutely. Um, And so I want to begin to talk to you about some of the prophecies that God has given us in regards to our future, in regards to the future of our region, our nation, and indeed around the world. Because, you see, you and I, we live in the last days. Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. We have a promise. We have a prophecy. God's made a statement, and it'll absolutely stand. It might look like it right now, and some of us might have great difficulty even imagining that. It's like, how would that happen? Well, the Bible speaks about it. It says that uh, every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. All right? So there will be like a a return of Jesus Christ that will be so spectacular that nobody is going to miss it. We are standing, my friend, on the brink of something huge, something large, something very, very powerful. God is pouring out his spirit in his last days on a much larger scale than what we have seen before. All right. Now, the outpouring of the Spirit, and we've talked about this for the last six, eight months, the outpouring of the Spirit as we know it from the Word began 2,000 years ago on the day of, day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was put out on all flesh. 120 believers in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit, with the ability of speaking in other tongues. They spilled out into the streets. Uh, Peter began to preach, and 2,000 people got saved. Up to that point, nobody was saved. Now we talk about Old Testament saints, they were saved on credit. All right. God says, I'm, I'm accrediting to you salvation, but the real price for salvation had not been paid until Jesus died on the cross. He died sacrificially. For that moment, for the people were, were able to really, really get saved. All right. So the outpouring of the Spirit began, but it has not been completed yet. There is more to happen. You see, we're in the last days, and uh, God is increasing the intensity of the outpouring of the Spirit in these last days. And you might say, well, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. Well, just let me know that there's more happening today in New Zealand than whatever, whatever has happened before. We've got larger churches. We've got more churches. We're stronger today than what we've been before. So it just depends on what we look for. All right. And then some, somebody said, you know, they've got revival happening up in Fiji uh, and have had for a number of years. And, and somebody said, well, I was up there. I didn't see it. It just depends on what you look for. It just depends on who you mix with. It just depends on who speaks and what you listen to and so forth. And so around the world, there's just some awesome, some incredible stuff that's happening. People are saved by the thousands. Churches are springing up overnight. And within uh, like a couple of years, there's five, ten thousand people in a church. And then there's young people that are, that are barely in the law for two years and they're pastoring large churches. It's like, wow. You know, just imagine what happened on the day of Pentecost was, was wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not in any way downplaying that. But I'm saying that was the beginning of it. There's more to come. All right. There's more to come. And some of them might say, well, what will it look like? Well, the end result, uh, and it's listed down here in Numbers chapter 14, verse 20. And by the way, this is God speaking. He says, Then the Lord said, But truly, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. How much of the earth? All the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. All right? So all means all. It will be filled. God's spoken it. There's no changing it. There's no backing down. There's no plan B. God's got no plan B. All right? We may have seen measures of the glory, and uh, and you know sometimes you get into an environment where you absolutely wow, you say God's here, like um, <laughs> we sense God, and sometimes we we see aspect of it. A friend of mine uh, pastoring a church, he says we were in one evening service, um, 
And he says, when the service finished, people said, what, what's happened? It's like, is there some smoke going on somewhere? Or did somebody open the windows and let the mist in? And they said, well, there's not even any mist outside. How can they let the mist in? And, and then, then they were looking, checked everything out, and but somebody had the revelation. No, no, this is not, no, no, no mist. This is no smoke cloud. This is the glory of the Lord that was hovering over the people there. They've been worshiping God, and God decided to manifest his presence. And I'll be speaking about that in just a moment. We can actually, we can actually do something towards that it's not just waiting God when you're manifesting in my life we can actually do things all right uh, and so we may have seen that we know we got scriptural examples where at the dedication of Solomon's temple the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the house and the priest could not stand to minister what does that mean they fell down <laughs> all right if they couldn't stand it means they fell down some people say well, why do people fall down when when somebody prays for them because the glory of the Lord comes on them God touches their lives and the senses give in and, and, and the body just you know reacts and somebody shakes, somebody laughs, somebody cries. It doesn't matter. What matters is that there's a transformation in people's lives. And you know, like they said before, it's like you know, people shake, rattle, and roll on the ground and, and everything else. It actually doesn't matter whether they shake, rattle, or roll or bolt. What matters is when they get up that they walk straight. That's what matters. All right, that their life changes, that they get delivered from the from demonic bondage and from mindsets and what have you. All right, so Isaiah 40 verse 5, here's another one. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So everybody's going to see the glory of the Lord. That'll be the end result. We're not seeing it right now to, to its full extent, but we will. All right, God's spoken about it. This is a statement. It's an irrevocable, unchangeable statement that God has given us. And he says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Everything that God has said is, uh, is, is either already has come to pass or it will come to pass. And as far as God's concerned, he's already dealt with everything. And it's like God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. It's only as we are journeying along in time, sometimes with, with some of these eternal things and future things, because our experiential truth so stares us in the face and impresses itself upon us that we have sometimes difficult of seeing. But, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel if you're in the tunnel right now. You know, there is deliverance from bondage. There is healing from sickness. There's breakthrough financially. There, there's all of these wonderful things. Can anybody agree with what I'm saying this morning? So let me say it again. What's happening right now is not always what's going to happen in the future. What it is right now is not what it's always going to be. Things can change. Things will change. And things are changing. And you can get on board by beginning to walk by faith to a greater degree and being a bit more aggressive. Faith is not passive, you see. Faith is active. It's like faith is out there. It takes quite a bit of tenacity to have, you know, when there's sickness in your body and you make a bold confession and say, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. And somebody said, well, how can you call yourself healed? You're lying. Your body tells you that you're sick and you're saying you're healed. You're just lying. No, we're not lying. We're agreeing with God. The Bible says that it is by His stripes that we have been healed, have been healed. So in God's mind, we heal them. I and God's obviously not confused about what's happening in our lives and in our body. He knows what's going on. But rather than trying to get Him to agree with us, we're beginning to agree with God. If we try to get Him to agree with us, nothing changes. God does not respond to need. God only responds to faith. 
All right, so that's why we choose to walk by faith. I've got a bunch of stuff going on in my life that I, if I tell you, you know, if you want to be burdened, you come and see me afterwards. I can burden you for, for an hour or two, tell you all the things that are not quite right in my life just yet and, and, and just dump on you if you like. Uh, so if you haven't got any of your problems you want, if you come and see me. All right, but I've chosen to walk by faith. In fact, it'll be pretty hard for you to get, to get me to sit down and to begin to pour out a whole lot of stuff, as I said, because I've chosen some time ago to begin to walk by faith. I can see what's happening. I know what's going on, but I've chosen to, to minor on that and to major on what God says. That's what it means to walk by faith. Most of us, I dare say all of us, have seen programs on TV, what we call nature programs, National Geographic uh, uh, and so forth, uh, of where there is some sort of scenery, some desert, some wilderness where there's hardly any vegetation or no vegetation at all. I mean, there's just nothing there. There's no water, nothing. And suddenly you get a flash flood, you get an outpouring, you get rain coming down, and in some desert places it hasn't rained, rained for three, five, seven, ten years. But when it does rain, my goodness, it's all on within a week or two. The same hills that were bare, the same plains that were absolutely just nothing there, suddenly there's growth everywhere. There's wildflowers, there's grass, there's, there's like, you know, everything is, begins to come alive. And the question is, what's the difference? Well, rain's the difference. You see, when rain begins to fall, seed has been lying there for many, many years. You see, see seed hasn't gone away. Seed is lying there all the time. And sometimes, uh, you know, we, we sow gospel seeds and we pray for our family members and everything and we share the good news with them somebody or give them a book or a tract or what have you and, and then nothing happens. We say, oh, it didn't work. Well, no, no, no. Just wait for the rain. All right. Just wait until it begins to rain. And then suddenly when it begins to rain, suddenly all these seeds that have been sitting dormant for, for months, weeks, months, even years, sometimes decades, suddenly, whoo, suddenly there's growth and suddenly there's a, a changed life and suddenly people are coming into the, into the house of God, you know, praising God. Previously, but they're part of the part of the skeptics, a part of the criticizers, a part of the ones that said, you guys are all mad and now they've joined us and now they're praising God themselves because now they're born again. You see, if they've developed an eye of faith. Now they're seeing the same thing that we are seeing. We're seeing a glorious future. All right, it's like in the book of Hebrews, it speaks about the pilgrims of old, that they were looking for a city that couldn't be seen with the natural eye. And that's what drove them forward. And they, they saw God and, uh, and they saw a better day for themselves and their families and, and, and so forth. So this example of rain uh, makes us think then, okay, is there such a thing as a, as a rain of the Spirit? And we say, absolutely. God says He will pour out of His Spirit upon all flesh. Book of Joel, uh, Peter referred to it before. Uh, in, the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, God says, he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, saying that God said in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit. <laughs> For this and I drove back from Hastings yesterday, coming down, and we stopped in Old Tackett just a bit, looked in a couple of stores there and everything. Well, it was only 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly it got all dark. It's like, what? It's a bit too early to get dark. And there was one massive downpour, and I walked into one of the stores, and there was water pouring in the back door, and there was just a flood. They were running around getting their suits and their shoe boxes out of the way, and, and the fire engine was coming, and like it was all on. Like, uh, what happened? There was a downpour. All right, and so... 
God uses that same language in terms of pouring out His Spirit. And uh, we know scriptural terminology such as the former rain and the latter rain. And God uses natural happenings in terms of the, the, the weather cycles to describe to us a spiritual truth. You see, in, uh, in Palestine, where the, the Bible was, was, uh, uh, had come together in terms of the Word of God, the prophets and everything, most of it came about in that particular region there, uh, we know that you know Joseph and some of these guys traveled down to Egypt, but then they came back again into that Middle Eastern area there. And in the Middle East, they know uh, a, a phenomena called the former rains, which is typically a rainy season uh, that starts around September, October, November, which is the fall or, if you like, the autumn in the Northern Hemisphere. And typically when there's lands that are dry and everything, and suddenly the rains begin to fall, they fall for some period and everything, it softens the ground and gets the, the, the ground ready for plowing and for sowing seed. And then it stops raining, and then of course there's uh, you know, temperature and everything else, and sunshine and all, and then the, the seed begins to sprout, and the plants begin to form, and then it goes on into January, February, and March, and in March there's another phenomenon, and I'm sort of speaking approximately in terms of the northern uh, hemisphere seasons, when spring times come, uh, springtime is then... If you like March, April, May, uh, thereabouts, uh, uh, then there is what they call the latter rains. So there was the former rains and then there's the latter rain. When the latter rains begin to fall, because a harvest that's getting ready uh, to, 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 to bear fruit and everything, it requires sunshine, it requires moisture. And when the rain begins to fall, it falls to such an extent that then the plants can grow further and can begin to form fruit and grain or, or whatever the, the harvest needs to be and everything. And then a little one after that they put in the sickle and then they harvest, uh, uh, they bring the harvest in. And so God uses that picture there and he begins to speak to us in Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 and he says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. Hello. What's God doing? God's using a natural picture of weather patterns to tell us how He's going to come to this earth in terms of the outpouring of the Spirit. All right? As I said before, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former rains. It soft, softened the ground. Uh, there were the early disciples. Uh, Israel, by and large, did not get saved. Uh, and, of course, that's a whole separate teaching in itself. But then, of course, in Antioch, and then they traveled around uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas and later on Peter and these guys. They traveled to different places, into Asia Minor, into Greece, Antioch, uh, Turkey, and all of this area there. Turkey was once a Christian nation. don't know what's gone wrong, but it's entirely Muslim now. They've got some Christians there, but they're absolutely in the minority. And so friends, we need to stand and fight, praise God, because we don't want to give way to lies and to deception. Alright, and so so that was the former rain. It brought some some things to fruition, but on the on a world worldwide scale, it was only just the beginning of it. We're now headed into the days where going we see the, the rest of the harvest getting produced, and we're not going to see the, the, the tens or the, the scores or the dozens or even the hundreds. We will be multi we will see multiplied thousands and thousands and thousands of people get saved. And that's why every one of us now uh, that are in the church now, we better train for leadership now because some of you uh, uh, that, that you'll be looking after the size people that in the terms of 
of many pastors in New Zealand are looking after and beyond. And suddenly you'll, you'll, you'll have a dozen people, you'll have 100, 200 people with a connect group system that somehow you're overseeing and making sure everybody gets discipled. And, you know, as churches begin to grow, it's more leadership coming on board and everything. So the time to get ready is now. Time to get ready is now. God spoke to me, and I've said this before some years ago in terms of prepare. God says, prepare, prepare, prepare. And ever since the time we've written courses, we've written, uh, you know, this uh, spiritual growth course and different things, stuff that's repeatable. We're preparing, we're doing everything we can. Even the connect group structure is part of that preparation. That multiplication is easy. We just have to have the structure in place. Um, to get ready for the growth that's coming. It's coming, my friend. It's not a matter of will it come or will it not come. It's coming. The question is, will we be ready? Zechariah 10 verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. And so there is a passage of Scripture that again speaks into the outpouring of the Spirit. And it says, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Now we know in New Zealand, and they do in Australia and in various parts, excuse me, around the world, that just because there is a certain season and there's meant to be rains in that particular season, it doesn't always happen. We know up in Waikato last year, they had a massive drought. They had no, hardly any winter uh, rain. They had no spring rains hardly. And then when, you know, when there's meant to be lush growth and so that they can feed their cattle and, and, and things can begin to grow, there wasn't hardly anything growing. And then the rains came late. They did come and praise God, it broke the drought. The year prior to that, they had a, a drought up in Northland. Uh, a while before that, there was a massive drought down in Canterbury. It's just, you know, and then one year, it's like, uh, you know, on the West Coast, it was just, it was dry and then and then another year it rained all the time and so how many, how many know that the weather pattern is just a bit, bit mixed up so just because rains are meant to happen at a certain time of the season does not mean that they will actually happen at that time of the season so God says ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain well my friend now is the time for the latter rain now is the time. The latter rain, in terms of a, in terms of a, of a season in God, began uh, sometime around the Azusa Street Revival, uh, which happened in uh, one of the uh, churches there, a mission station in Los Angeles, in a street called Azusa Street. Uh, uh, 1904, 1905, 1906, around about that time, that had the Welsh Revival. They had different sort of outpourings, uh, in different places and so forth. And these guys began to pray and they prayed earnestly that God might once again pour out His Spirit and God answered their prayer. And the Azusa Street Revival so impacted the world that people that were in this in this revival, they got so touched and so filled and so inspired and so stoked up that they suddenly left secular employment. Many of them got into ministry, did a bit of training and then went to various parts of the earth to begin to preach the gospel. Mission organizations that we know today have all sprung up out of that. A lot of them have sprung up out of that thing. The whole deal of, uh, you know, the Assemblies of God is a, is a movement, is a denomination. It all traces its roots back to the Azusa Street Revival. And then, of course, we could talk about more recent outpourings. We could talk about the, the uh, uh, Florida... Um, Pentecola outpouring that happened and Vanessa and I had an opportunity to visit there. Wow, talk about stuff happening and, and people's lives being radically changed. But others just sat there and it just absolutely didn't touch them at all. So friend, you can sit in the middle of a revival and your heart remains stone cold and, and if you don't 
open up at least a crack and allow the Spirit of God to flow in, you can absolutely miss the point. And so we could talk about the Toronto revival. In fact, we could talk about Rodney Howard Brown coming from the nation of South Africa and going to America. And they reckon that the bulk, most of the outpourings, the recent ones in the last 10, 15 years, all traces its steps back to Rodney Howard Brown who began to preach about the outpouring began to and God just used him to as a as a catalyst to spark off revival in different places as he went and everything else and uh, and well that's the western world uh, um, there's a massive revival going on in China right now and the communist uh, uh, in places there's a revival going on underground in Muslim regimes much of it we don't hear about because these people that know about it have enough sense to not publicly proclaim some of that most certainly will not mention names or places because otherwise the, the, you know these people will get shot over there they will just absolutely get slaughtered uh, stuff going on like persecution there's more persecution against Christians going on today in 2011 than what there was back during the days of Nero uh, the Roman Emperor who slaughtered a lot of the Christians that was actually small scale what's happening today is huge like it's absolutely huge we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in these persecuted places and we need to pray that the outpouring of the spirit would so increase that it'll absolutely arrest people and uh, you know there's reports of uh, some of these Muslim Iman, some of these Muslim leaders uh, getting saved. Jesus visits them in a vision and in a dream and sometimes they're gone out for hours and they come to and they're saved. It's like, wow, supernatural occurrences happening. And some of them are more bolder than others, but some of them are, are beginning to study the Bible with all the people and uh, they got all of these Muslim uh, uh, Gather all these Muslims that are actually Christians. <laughs> and uh, it's just, you know, in that environment, it's a bit difficult to work in. But wonderful stuff's happening. So don't believe for one moment that what you're seeing uh, is all there is. Yeah. All right? And what we are seeing in New Zealand is all there is. It's not. There's a whole lot of stuff going on, and it's wonderful. It says that God will make flashing clouds. And uh, Viv referred before to the passage in 2 Kings chapter 3 where Jehoshaphat and Jeroboam, Jehoshaphat the king of, of Judah and Jeroboam the king of Israel got together and they were going to take out the king of Moab uh, and uh, three other kings that had sort of started uh, some trouble and everything. Let's go down, let's take them out. They wandered around in the wilderness for some seven days. Suddenly they were out of water, they could find no water. They said, we're going to die out here. We're going to die and our animals are going to die. Because they were riding probably on horses and what have you, and all of their troops and everything. They was just they were getting ready to die. So the king of Jeho of of of, of uh, Judah, Jehoshaphat, said, "Well, is there not a prophet here that we can inquire of the Lord in regards to our situation? Somebody had enough sense and said we need to look to God. We know what's staring us in the face, but there is a God in heaven who wants to help us." And somebody said, "Well, yes, there is uh, uh, Elisha." The man who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And he says, bring him here. So Elisha came and Elisha didn't like uh, Jeroboam uh, because he was Ahab's son. And Ahab was a bad king and Jeroboam was a bad king and everything. And he says, if it were not for, anyway, I'm getting into detail now. But he says, bring me a musician. Bring me a minstrel. So they brought a musician out and as the musician began to play, suddenly the presence of God uh, began to flow. And, and the prophetic anointing God stirred up in this man and everything. And he began to prophesy. And he says, uh, he says, you will not see any cloud. He says, you will not see any rain but there's going to be water here and he says he will not die out here in the wilderness it's like talk about a word of the lord these guys are getting ready to die and the prophet says no you're not going to die the prophet saw things that they could not see 
we just had a prophet here just a couple of months ago. And, and he began to affirm some things that we had glimpses of and everything. And, 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 and he began to declare some things about getting ready that there was going to be a massive revival in regards to unchurched people in this church here and in our region. And so, so let's take the word of the Lord. Let, let's take it. So this guy's prophesying. Elisha's talking to him about, he says, but he says there's going to be just water everywhere, he says. And uh, he says, begin to dig ditches in the valley everywhere. Start digging. And so uh, you imagine it's like they're in this wilderness and look, digging ditches. There's no water down there. I mean, how deep can we go to find water? And he says, no, he says, start digging. So they started digging. And uh, by the time they had finished digging, he says, in the evening, the next day, there was some flesh Flash rains that had gone on up and further up in the hills there, and water was rushing down through this valley and everything, and all the ditches were filled. He says, you will drink, he says, your animals will drink, you're going to live, and you're going to take out that king down there. And, and that's exactly what happened. Suddenly there's water rushing through this valley that they were in. Imagine if they had dug no ditches. Imagine if they had not prepared. The water would have rushed through. They might have had a couple of mouthfuls as it rushed through. Uh, they might have lived another day, but they still would have died. You know, it pays for us to do the right thing. It pays for us in these last days to tithe and to offer. It pays for us to walk by faith and everything because, friend, what's coming will blow a lot of people out the water. They might live another day, but then they will get washed away. Somehow they will, they will just, you know, friend, it'll be in the last days like it was in the, in the early days when the ark, only those who were in the ark lived and survived. Everybody else like got blown away. And uh, so there's another deal coming on this earth that we don't have to be afraid of so long as we build our lives on the word. And so that's exactly what happened. The, the, the water rushed through, the ditches were filled and they lived. And uh, so that's what God's speaking to us about. He says, he will make flashing clouds. And my friend, uh, God's spoken to us about, uh, uh, in regards to when, when Fergus was here, he says, build your own anointing. He says, dig your own well. Build your own anointing. He says, some of you are living off of my anointing, he said. And, and, and we know that. You know, we come into an environment such as this. We do have half an hour praise and worship. And suddenly people come alive and get excited. But then they go home and it's not happening. Because they're only living on the corporate anointing that everybody else has produced but they haven't contributed to us that build your own anointing dig your own well dig your own ditch so when things actually begin to happen you've got something to hold it with and something to, to flow from um, interesting point a couple of years ago we had Cole Stringer with us and he was on similar trials in regards to the outpouring and he pointed out to us that rain doesn't actually fall uh, from heaven to the earth of its own accord it actually doesn't it's just like, uh, it spun me out. I said, what are you talking about, Cole? And he said, well, actually, it's gravity that pulls down the rain. And when I thought about that, I thought, he's exactly right. You know, we have just recently seen uh, pictures of the space station where there's virtually no, no gravity up there, and they've got a bottle of water. They splash a bit of water around, and there's a blob, a blob of water that sort of flows through the air, and then the gravity tissue, and pull it down, and I don't know what they do with it and everything. So water just floats around until gravity pulls it down. And we might say, well, how can we pull down the rain of the Spirit that is just floating in the air? It is our hunger for more of God that pulls down the rain of the Spirit. It is our prayers. It is our preparation. It is us digging our wells and digging ditches and everything and, and drilling down deep so that in a time of famine or in a time of difficulty, we can sustain ourselves. We're not just living off of the corporate anointing. We're drawing, uh, uh, you know, we're doing everything that God tells us to do. So our hunger for more of God's Spirit in our prayers create a gravity for the rain of the Spirit to come down. 
James chapter 5, verse 7, and I'm moving quickly now. So be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's return. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient and strengthen your heart, hearts, for the Lord is near. So as I say, some of us you might think, oh, well, we've been sowing for a long time. We haven't quite seen everything. Be patient, God says. Continue to do what you know to do. Continue to pray. Continue to intercede for your loved ones. Continue to tithe. Continue to walk by faith. He says, because when the early and the latter rains, when all of that begins to fully manifest, and suddenly uh, the harvest is ready. And we absolutely believe in God for this nation. There's only barely four and a half million people. We've got a church in, in Seoul, Korea that's got a million people in it by itself. I mean, one church. Yeah. It's not that hard to get New Zealand saved. It's actually not that hard to get, uh, to get people saved. We're, we're, we're trusting God. And as God has affirmed to us over the years, He says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by the grace of God. All we need to do is what God tells us to do and be patient and walk by faith and not be moved by what we see in the natural realm. Just get really inspired uh, by different testimonies where different ones come. And just recently, a dear lady from our church went to her parents' house, elderly parents, and was absolutely, says, I'm not leaving until these people are saved. And like getting into God's face, and Lord, I'm just trusting you. Or praise God, there was the opportunity. And God had gone before her and softened their heart, and suddenly here they are both praying the prayer. (laughs) How awesome is that? It's like Vanessa standing for her mother's salvation for years and years and years. And man, talk about, she's a lovely lady. But I talk about it uh, in the natural heart, not, not to crack, if I can use that expression, not, not wanting to be derogative. She's a good woman. I've always gone on very well. She's not your typical. Anyway, let's not go near the mother-in-law thing, okay? Let's not do that. And she gets into a meeting here with, and some of you might remember, we had Dwight, Dwight Hicks with us, Dwight and Geraldine, and he led everybody in a prayer, and, and she prays the prayer. And when he got home, he says, you prayed the prayer today, didn't you? She says, I sure did. And so sometimes you just don't know. Sometimes you just don't know. And so, praise God, we're not giving up. We're not saying it's not happening. We're not, we're not releasing uh, words of doubt and unbelief that will actually confirm what is not happening rather than speaking what is actually happening. So let's be careful what we say. Watch your confession. Don't speak your mind. So be patient, says the Lord. Return, Lord's return is near. So a commentary, uh, I read various commentaries in my Bible studies and so forth. Uh, there's one commentary there. It's called A Commentary Critical and Explanatory of the Old and New Testament. And I draw a lot from this particular one and others. And they say here that the latter rain shall precede the coming spiritual harvest. Um, Let me start again. Uh, The latter rain that shall precede the coming spiritual harvest will probably be another Pentecost-like effusion of the Holy Spirit. And I would say absolutely and more so. Absolutely and more so. At that time, it was only a Jerusalem neighborhood that initially heard about it. When this deal gets going, as I say, most people that have done any study whatsoever on any type of revival know about Azusa Street that happened about 105 years ago. 
Um, and we certainly know the effects of it uh, uh, and everything. You know, all of that deal happening and, uh, and everything. And then later on, we talk about the healing revival that began in 1948 and that carried on with 120 healing evangelists. That healing was released into the body of Christ. And then following on, we had the charismatic move where the Spirit was made available more broadly that mainline churches, uh, uh, believers, got filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, all they had was they were born again and, and soundly so. Praise God for being born again, but being filled with the Holy Spirit is an additional experience that we need to seek God for and experience so that we are empowered to live the life and empowered to serve God. Jesus says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So absolutely. So how can we facilitate that as we begin to wind down? How can we facilitate uh, the outpouring? Well, as I said earlier on, our prayers. We, we pray. We pray for, for, for the latter rain in the time of the latter rain. It's the, latter rain, the time for the latter rain right now. Rain of the Spirit. We pray. We display a hunger before God. We, we, we come and say, Lord, it's, it's got to happen. We're trusting you for it. We are ready. We are, we, are, we are crying out. And Lord, not only that, but we make personal preparation and we make corporate preparation. A corporate means together. It's a, it's a, it's a local church and local churches in our region here. I'm, I'm connected with a number of leaders and ministers uh, on the local level and everything. And, and we're all pretty much on the same page. We're believing God for greater outpouring of the Spirit. And we are making preparation. Uh, so that we, when, the, when the souls are ready and, and coming in, you know, in greater droves than what we're experiencing right now, we will not get caught uh, off guard. We make personal preparation. How do we do that? Well, touched on things along the way already, but again, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, in the Ben Campbell Johnson translation, it says, From the time that John was in prison, Jesus began his ministry saying to all the people, Change your attitudes and your actions because an invasion of the Spirit is imminent. You see, God commands us to change our attitudes and to prepare ourselves for the imminent invasion of the Spirit. There is no doubt that our pourings happen in waves, all right? The early wave, the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, just before it happened, just before it came, there was John the Baptist's preaching, and he says, prepare the way for the Lord. He says there's an invasion of the Spirit coming. Jesus comes on the scene. He, he basically repeated what John had already said. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or as Ben Campbell Johnson renders it, he says, change your attitudes and change your actions, for an invasion of the Spirit is imminent. And as they changed their attitudes and their actions, not everybody, but some did, the ones who did, they experienced it. What makes us think that the next outpouring that is happening is going to come any different uh, other than just by through thorough preparation of our own lives and dealing with issues and getting rid of offenses and of niggly little things uh, and attitudes, mindsets that get in the way and people sitting in church and say, come on, preacher, tickle me. Come on, tell me something nice uh, uh, and so forth rather than saying, whatever the word of the Lord is, we will do it. We are doers of the word and not hearers only. And so, praise God, we're making personal preparation. You see, every time before the Lord chooses to manifest His presence to a greater degree, He requires a deeper level of changed attitudes and changed actions. And it's like, you know, some of us have walked with the Lord for some years and, and praise God, you know, you do what you can and you just 
deal with things and thought, wow, this is good. Got that out of the way. And so I'm good now. I'm good now. And just you make another step and suddenly an attitude rears its head. It's like, oh, no, no, got to start all over again, uh, dealing with other things now, dealing with things. Like, you know, it's like there's almost like a deal where if I can say this, I don't get away with things anymore now that I might have uh, thoughts that I might have thought 10 years ago. I just don't get away with it. There's like there's a fear of God that's like, don't think like that. Or don't speak like that. Or, or you know, just like there's just like a deal, changed attitudes. You look at somebody and say, oh, that's, you know, sometimes the flesh just sizes somebody up. Oh, they're just this and they're just that and they're just the other. You don't have to swear, uh, but it's still a sin to look down on somebody and to judge them in your heart. God says, judge not, lest he will be judged. And so with churches, and not in any way here, but churches in disarray, there's strife, there's stuff being thrown back and forth, muchling and going on, and they're expecting an outpouring of the Spirit. God will bypass that show. They're not digging a ditch of love. They're not digging any ditches properly where they, they can contain the outpouring of the Spirit. So changed attitudes and changed actions and prayers and hunger before the Lord will absolutely prepare us for greater levels. We're not talking about some something that has not already happened or or in terms of starting now or starting tomorrow. We're talking about an increase in intensity. The outpouring started 2,000 years ago. We've had recent outpourings. We have enjoyed uh, over over the years, you know, just measures of, uh, of the glory, measures of just wonderful stuff and everything, but we're talking about beyond. We're talking about where we headed on from the year 2011 into the rest of the year 2012 and 2013 and however long we can go before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And let me just close with this thought here that, uh, and this is not my thought, these are Jesus' thoughts. He said in uh, John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, you must be born again, otherwise you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And what that means is that uh, we've got to surrender our life to Jesus Christ. Invite him into our hearts and make him the Lord of our lives. That is the only way that we can get to heaven. And that is actually the only way that much of the Bible will even make sense. An unsafe person, an un, a person that is not, has not a living connection with Jesus Christ, can't understand much about the Bible, can't understand about a lot of stuff to do with end times or speaking in tongues or some of, some of the other spiritual aspects of different things that we might say, well, I've come to understand some of the... The only thing that they can understand is that they have a need for Jesus Christ in their lives.